0: In your own private times, pray for our nation at the moment in terms of all that means. And this morning we prayed regarding the vote north of the border on Thursday that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we're on podcast, I've never met a Scottish. I've got many uh, Scottish friends. I've never met one yet that's not a nationalist. But um, the reality is that it is an important vote and. Uh, we do pray that that will be so. Pray for uh, things that are taking place in the world at the moment. It may seem that they're almost beyond us, um, but God is good, and so we can pray that God's will will be done increasingly in the earth. And uh, we're believing that God will do a, a great thing. Uh, in a moment of madness, I've just committed to that 28-mile walk next year. So, um, you know, so um, Mandy's going to hold me to it, and. Uh, you know, I'm going to be coming around for a few quid from folks, okay? I'm not doing it for nothing. All right. Um, but a wonderful effort. That's a marathon plus in a day. That's a long walk. And uh, great. We've had a great day already as Josh was leading us in prayer. It's great to, at any time for any person to make a dedication to the Lord. It simply means to be devoted to a special service. And a couple of our little boys were wonderfully Led by Christian this morning, their families just—we're believing that they'll be devoted to the Lord's service. Great. And uh, tonight we're here, and we're believing that God's going to do something really great amongst us. Just to say that on the uh, on the Bible uh, teaching night, you, you're welcome to come across. It's not a ilkiston event. We recognise it is there, but you're very welcome to come. We start at seven. We finish promptly at nine. And what we've been doing on that journey. Um, alongside prayer and small groups is simply just giving it over to uh, bible teaching so there's no wor- when i say there's no worship everything's worship but there's no songs it's the prayer we're straight in uh, there's notes provided and we're starting a, a new series on tuesday night called reality and we're looking at the five chapters of one john not john's gospel but right towards the end of the new testament and there's a lot of material in there and i think you'll find it really relevant to modern day living so if you can join with us you're welcome one of the things that's really thrilled me particularly over the last 12 to 15 months is the cross-section of people we've got we've had young people come in and people that have been christians for a time and still hungry and so we pray that these three autumn tuesday nights will also be benefit the simple idea behind him is that we look at the word uh, we try and sort of just open up a little bit of what it says and then how do we implement that into our lives that is spiritual formation or at least one aspect of it, and it then spills out into every aspect of our lives. So that's at 7 on Tuesday. I want to take your attention tonight to, if you've got a Bible, and if you've not, then Lucy will put the words upon the screen. And these words are coming from James in the New Testament, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. I'll read the verses, and then I'll open up something that I just want to challenge us and encourage us with tonight as we continue on our journey. We were just praying uh, earlier. We had a wonderful night last week, didn't we? As we remembered our uh, journey of four years. And so, you know, I don't know really where that time's gone. It's been incredible. And it, it really has been a joy to gather together on a Sunday night. I've had people tell me in terms of my wider role, Sunday nights don't work anymore. Nobody comes. Well, we bought the trend there. I just want to thank you for being on this ride, being on this journey, to remember, to celebrate, to reflect But if you read in the Bible, the Bible actually does encourage us to take moments to remember, but never to stay there, to always move forward, to always be propelled into what God's got ahead of us. And so here in James, verse 26, from the New International Version, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thank you, Lucy. If you want a title for tonight's message, it's a little bit of a play on words, but the writer leads us to it. And it's simply this, Religious Christianity. And I know it seems a contradiction, but if you'll stay with me, I think... uh, you'll hopefully sort of get what the is trying to get at. This is the only time in the whole of the New Testament where religion is mentioned in a positive light. Religious Christianity. We're in a process over the next week or two of just bringing a word or two that will just spur us on. And We've got an autumn series set up that will begin in a couple of weeks' time, which Christian will lead us into, that I know that you'll be challenged with and blessed. And one of the things I've really loved about Arena Church, my journey of Arena Church into its eighth year now, one of the things I've really loved about working alongside Christian and having the joy of just being able to minister the word on a regular basis, never take that for granted. It's always a privilege, not a right. And just to sow the word in and to, and to teach the word is that there are things that God has laid in our hearts that have become a series. And we've sometimes tried to use a little catchphrase or something that will just live. And what I love about it is they've stuck. They, they, we may not be able to remember everything that's said, but there have, been, there have been messages, there have been series, there have been things that God has laid in. And uh, about two and a half years ago, we did a series when we were still at Field Mill, one called Stadium. Uh, we did a, a series called Occupants of the House. And we talked about things that we'd like to fill the house. And you might have things in your house that I mean, my house that are normal to you, and that other things are normal to me. And if you're here this morning, you'll know where that's going. But the thing is that there are things that we like to fill our house with, and God gives us indications in the Bible of things that He loves the house to be filled with. And one of the descriptions that we could describe this gathering tonight is a house coming together. We need the right roof and the right walls and the right doors and the right windows and the right foundations. So you think about God loves praise to occupy the house. We've done that tonight. He loves power to be in the house. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He loves presence to be in his house. Not presence, but presence. In other words, God amongst us. And so we could go on. And of course there are things that you wouldn't want in your house you won't want to be burgled you won't want intruders coming you won't want squatters you won't want somebody saying it's your house when it's not their house and as we read the new testament we we, we i just want to remind you very very briefly that there are four things that we alighted upon that seek to intrude the house of god arena mansfield whatever church is in mansfield whatever churches in the east midlands whatever church is in the nation these things will always seek to come against us and the reason they come against us is because they came against him. If you read the Gospels, friends, you'll find that Jesus had to contend with things. And uh, when I first thought about this message, message, I thought, well, talking about things that shouldn't be in the house sounded negative until I realized that there were things that Jesus contended with. And there are four. One of the things that will try and come in the house is control. Control. We don't believe in control in Arena Church. It's not an occupant of the house. People trying to control us is trying to control you. doesn't happen. doesn't work. We do believe in leadership as we flagged up last week, as we established our eldership and set people in. But not control. People try to control Jesus. He pushed back on it. Rejection. That's another occupant that seeks to intrude the house. Maybe people have to work things through there. But we don't want to push back on people offense not offense that you sit on but offense and the reality is friends that offense is never given it's just taken number of christians i've come across and said he she offended me you took it you didn't have to and the bible says that an offended spirit is more unyielding than a fortified city you ever met a christian like that i have where the offended spirit is so ingrained within them that whatever you say, whatever you do, however much anointing is in the meeting, however much you pray for them, they are immovable. And until you repent of an offended spirit and let it go, you will be like a fortified city, impenetrable to the things of God. It's not an occupant of this house. We don't sit around getting offended with each other. Woo, woo, woo. He said that. I'm not coming anymore. He it's not how Arena Mansfield works, friends. It really isn't. It's how kindergartens operate, spiritual kindergartens. Folks falling out with each other and thinking it's how you do it, having a go. It's not how Arena Mansfield Was It's a problem the Bible gives us, a directive on how to sort out the problem. And if we do it properly, friends, 99.9 times out of 100, it's sorted in a moment. And the fourth thing that is not an occupant of the house is religion. And if you read the Gospels, you'll find that religion came against Jesus again and again and again and again. That's why I said tonight's title is a contradiction in terms. You see, Christians rightly shy away from being called religious. It may be that somebody says to you at work, oh, you're religious, aren't you? And you rightly say, no, I don't want to be called religious. I'm a Christian. And that's okay. Religion has been defined as a system of faith. It seeks to attain to where God wants us to know him by works rather than by receiving, by grace. He seeks to reach out to God. where failing to realize that God has already reached out to us. It seeks to pay a price without realizing the price has already been paid. It roots itself in works, not in the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, which is grace. And the religious spirit in Jesus' day, read about it in the Gospels, persistently and continually opposed him. Complaining, accusing, fault-finding, plotting. Somebody said that the religious spirit seeks to pounce. You ever come across people like that? You get it wrong once out of a thousand million times and they're very, very quick to tell you. It's a religious spirit. Religion, friends, reveals itself in all sorts of ways. If you read in Matthew 23, the most corrosive language that Jesus ever used was not against the down and outs, was not against the beggars, was not against the immoral of the day, was not against those that didn't have any money, wasn't against those that were sick, it was against the religious. And he pulled no punches. And if you read in Matthew 23, he says, you seem as though you're okay on the inside, but actually you're full of dead men's bones, boarded up by whitewash. That was pretty sort of direct. And he went on to describe religion. You read about it, it's a long chapter, but he says religion is burdensome, it always is. It always presses down and never lifts up. It's proud. It exter- it's externalizes. It's always interested on the outward and not the inward. And God says that he looks on the inward, because we're defined by our heart, not our exterior. Religion, friends, is powerless, not powerful. It's always critical, always joyless, and always stubborn. And it's not an occupant of Arena Mansfields. The religious spirit has tried to intrude the church on occasions, and we push back on it. And religious people will never truly reflect the life of God. And so we come to James chapter 1, and think, well, what's all that about? I mean, you seem to be getting pretty steamed up about religion, and yet you're talking about religious Christianity. Well, I'm only doing that because the author of James does. And you'll know that James is a book about faith in action. Martin Luther described it as the epistle of straw. He felt it pushed against Romans. It doesn't. It doesn't compete with Romans. It complements it. Romans is about understanding that we're far from God, that the only way that we could find God is in Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful book about the grace of God at work within us, how that we save from our wrongdoing. James simply complements that and says, if that has happened in your life, it will express itself in works. Let me say it again. We are not saved by works. We are saved for works, for a faith that works out in our lives. As I said earlier, the only time it's mentioned deliberately and specifically in a positive way is here in James. The writer's been, to quote Christian, a bit naughty. He makes a play on this word to get people's attention and says if you're truly religious, here's at least three things that will be impacted in your life. Number one, conversation. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. I understand, friends, there's been extremes in the Christian church about confession. I get all that. And we don't run to an extreme here. That said, we don't want to undermine the powerful teaching in the Bible regarding confession. The Bible says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Part of the problem, friends, with the extremes is that confession doesn't liberate us. It binds us. And we don't want to do that. But what you say reflects who you are. And it's important. In Jesus' day, the religious people said a lot and it meant little. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, Jesus is talking in that context about prayer and fasting. He says, all right for you guys, making a big show about praying in the open so everybody can see you. Aren't wonderful? Prayer, prayer. He says, how about getting to the secret place? One translation calls it the closet. It's an old-fashioned word for a little room. Getting into the secret place, because it's when God sees you praying in secret, He will reward you openly. Does that mean that we don't have public prayer meetings? Of course not, because there's also a call to that in the scriptures. But we are not to parade our prayer. We are not to externalize it. We are not to draw attention to ourselves. We are not to use words that mean little. The most effective way of reaching out to God is sometimes when nobody else can see you except him. And he pours out his purposes in your life. He goes on to say in Matthew 12 and verse 34, that out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. See, if you're in a workplace situation and every other word's blasphemous and every other word's an expletive, you don't need a word of knowledge to know that there's something wrong with that person's heart. It may be that they're embittered, it may be that they're angry, it may be that they're defensive, it may be that they're insecure, but sometimes. Very often, it rolls out in people's language. We've got used to bad language in this country now. It wasn't too long ago, friends, that we had a blasphemy law where you could be held to account in a court of law for taking the name of God in vain. My, those days seem distant. I noticed increasingly in the paper now that rather than not using the words, they're now putting the first word and then six or seven asterisks. think, guys, you might as well put the word. We've got it. People using bad language. When bad language was first used on the TV, people were horror-struck. And I know it's very easy to set up somebody like Mary Whitehouse in parody and say she was just a dotty old fool. But the reality, friends, she saw something coming. I'd like to think that actually she had a prophetic voice to try and warn people. Nowadays, we just accept anything. Watersheds? Well, I've watched stuff before 9 o'clock, friends, and the language has made me blush. And we get used to it. And it's reflecting, friends, a world that rails against God and says he doesn't matter. And the Bible says it does. Did you, did you, notice, did you know that in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, he says that the, that the power of life and death is held in the tongue. You see, I can make somebody live tonight and I can kill somebody simply by what I say. Have you ever been on the end of somebody and you felt killed? Absolutely slaughtered. May have been a sentence, a phrase often comes from a religious attitude when somebody wants to do it. But you see, I want to be a person that gives life to people by what I say and what I sow in. Words are important. And the truly religious are careful in what they say and sow in. Colossians 4.6 says that our language, our talking, our conversation should be full of grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, it's an influence, an impact for good. I wonder where it's at tonight, friends, with your conversation, your words. Not so much in here, but out there. I wonder if you are Jekyll and Hyde. Where, oh, in here, you sing the praise of God, and out there, you join him with the cursings of man. James chapter 3, some of you know it well. We're not going to go there tonight. But there's half a chapter on the, 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 the instruction to be careful in what we say. And it says that if praise and cursing comes out of the same mouth, this should not be. If I can put it sort of in a, in a gracious sort of way, friends, God's not called us to spiritual schizophrenia by the way in which we operate in our language. One thing to God and one thing to other people. I worked with somebody once, he says, sorry, I didn't work with him, he was in the church, that made it even worse. He says, yeah, he says, I worked on the car lines uh, in, uh, in Oxford for years. He says, I had to join him with uh, the swearing to feel one of them. No, God's not calling to be one of them, he's calling to stand out from them and be one of them, a follower of jesus christ tell you guys around the room particularly the guys will tell you that if you're in a context of guys and you don't swear they'll pick it up like that and they'll say what's up with you you have a reason for the faith that is within you to share it with meekness and respect conversation is important and religious christianity reflects itself in ways that bring glory and praise and honor to god we all get it wrong friends We all say things at times in the spur of the moment, maybe to people close to us in family who we love dearly. Maybe sometimes in the spur of the moment to brothers and sisters, there's always a way to put it right. And the Holy Spirit's got a way, I don't know about you, if I've got it wrong, he's pretty quick to tell me I've got it wrong and to go and put it right. And if you're not sure, do it anyway. Because sometimes I've gone to people and said, I'm sorry. They said, what are you saying sorry for? It wasn't a problem. Well, at least it's made me feel better. I'm sorry. You know, it's no problem saying sometimes sorry for things that you don't have to say sorry about. It's far better than just continuing carrying on when you need to say sorry. So conversation its important. Religion, true religion, works itself out in what we say. Then secondly, in verse 27, it works itself out in concern because it says religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress. Now, clearly, friends, the Bible's not just teaching that it stops there. And by the way, when it talks about widows, it's talking about widows in need. And if you want to sort of bolster that teaching, then read 1 and 2 Timothy. Widows in need. And If I can say it in Arena Church, quietly, unobtrusively, we try and do that at appropriate times. We try and look out for people that have specific needs. You'll know that even today often think perhaps is less of an issue, not totally removed, but certainly in New Testament times, 100 years into uh, the New Testament, it was certainly an issue. Needy people in society, true religion has a concern for them. The wider challenge, friends, is a ministry of mercy. And in James chapter 2, it says that mercy always triumphs over judgment. See, I can sit here forever saying, what is true Poverty. And we've had people, Christian, have, if he had 10 quid for everybody, every time somebody's railed against him for food bank, saying they're not really poor, they need to get rid of that mobile phone. but bet they've got Sky Television at their, doot, doot, do, do, do. But mercy triumphs over judgment, friends. And we're not naive in how we set things up. And we don't want to be taken for a ride. But it's not our job to be sitting in judgment religiously and not reaching out in mercy to people that are in need. The Bible tells us, friends, and we'll look at it in one John when we get there over the teaching nights, that for us to really show the love of God inevitably works itself out in seeking to help other people, the homeless, We've seen somebody tonight just making his way away from the building as we've arrived, clearly homeless, the loveless that needs the love of God. You know, maybe you've got people you talk to in your world of work, and we have them. We get feedback from people around our church They say, well, there's nobody in need anymore. Let me tell you again, friends, without any sense of exaggeration, that all around us, his incredible needs i don't even remember two or three months ago but paul led the prayer from this pulpit and he, he gave us some local facts of needs they're there need of fractured relationships need of unpayable debts need of people getting into trouble with the law and so it goes on Did you know, friends, there were 27,000 people in the city of Nottingham, kids under 11, that are classes living in poverty. 27,000, 12 miles down the A60. It's all around us. I said to Christian this afternoon, Christian, keep championing the cause of Arena Church reaching out to the needy. It's an expression of true religion. And as I was preparing the message, there was a few weeks ago when I, I sort of, at this sort of sense of people sort of that God would bring to us to help us. And I really just want to, if, if you can use the word tonight, prophesy into a Mansfield in this coming season, 2014-15, an acceleration of God's purpose, God's resource, and God's help in reaching out specifically in this area of ministry of mercy to increasingly be salt and light in the society around us. Am I saying that no other church is doing it? I'm not saying that. And we have helped other local churches in their expressions of ministry of mercy. But I believe, friends, if I can say it with humility, that Arena Mansfield can bring a unique contribution to the ministry, to those that are needy in these days. And I speak acceleration over it in Jesus' name. Maybe you're somebody tonight that needs to have your heart stirred to say, that's me. I need to be positioned for what God wants to do. And friends, we need to rise up and serve in Jesus' name. You see, society's often, we, we, we push against church going in on itself. And we have to push against us going in on ourselves because there is such a need. We need our eyes increasingly opened and we need to ask that God will help us. We don't want to replicate things that we've already done, but creatively and with ingenuity we want to reach out, we want this building to be used in a greater way, Monday to Saturday. We want doors to be opened where we can reach out. We want to forgive the cliche, scratch where it's itching. We want to hit the nail on the head. We want God to help us, friends, because that is religious Christianity. And let me tell you again tonight, without any sense of exaggeration at all, God's called the church in these days to reach out to brokenness, which is all around us in a way that he's never called us before. I sense really strong in my spirit tonight that that whilst that won't be the same thing for everybody, there's people here tonight, maybe five or six people who God's really talking to about, about some shifts in your heart to really begin to take weight in this area, to really begin to rise up and to really begin to sense the heart of God about what he wants you to do, to bring your creative skills, to bring your gifts and abilities and to pull them together for the body of Christ's sake in this town to reach out for Jesus' sake. And who knows what the lord will do and thirdly friends religious christianity reflects itself in conversation it shows a heart in concern and it also reveals itself in cleanliness because the last part of verse 27 says and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world that's true religious christianity there have been imbalances in the past regarding this challenge of not being worldly. Some of you may have been Christians for years, and you've had to extricate yourselves from people saying certain things to you, and as you got a bit older in the faith, you realised that actually, that wasn't faith, that was religion. What you could do on a Sunday, what you could buy on a Sunday, what you couldn't buy on a Sunday. In fact, you couldn't buy anything on a Sunday, so book up, okay? It was all wrong. What you could wear, what you couldn't wear. Pastors in the platform without a tie. You know, jeans for a dedication service. Going to the cinema. And so on. And I think people did it with a good heart, friends. But separation became about isolation. It came about about with church ghettos that went in on themselves. Some great people prayed, sought God. But they just created huge barriers between them and a needy world. We don't want to run to imbalance. And I really do love the fact that Arena Church doesn't do that. But the Bible clearly teaches from the words of Jesus that whilst we are in this world, we are not of it. Because the pendulum swinging the other way worries me at times that Christians are completely indiscernible with their behavior from people that don't claim to be Christians. And whether you like it or not, we are called to be different. Not different weird, not different odd, not different strange, just different, just different. We are in the world, but not of it. 1 John 2 says that we're not to love this world. What are we talking about? Does it mean that we can't go out on a beautiful walk and enjoy the Derbyshire, Nottinghamshire countryside? It's not meaning that. It's not talking about the cosmos in terms of creation. He's talking about the spirit of the age, the material spirit of the age, the selfish spirit of the age, the idolatrous spirit of the age, the the hedonistic. That means uh, living with behavior that goes beyond the bounds of what God has called us to do, wilderness. I'm in a drinking church years ago. My, I, used to live, I used to go to a church near the Rose Pub in Nottingham. There used to be an off-license. It wasn't in the pub. It used to be one of the... Used, can you remember taking the old empties back and getting... If you, you go in there for a b- bottle of dandelion and burdock and a pint of Christian, the pastor found out you were dead. You know, you'd gone near the pub. Never mind about in it. But now I hear Christians talking about getting hammered. And putting it on Facebook. How daft can that be? And saying it's okay. Let me tell you, it's not. It's not okay. The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. And be not drunk with wine wherein it is excess. And if some Christians got pumped about Sundays, they got pumped about Friday, we might start getting somewhere. We're called to be religious Christians, friends. And we are not going to lay laws down on you. Christian and me do not operate as the secret police. We've not got a person in every club in Mansfield giving us for 10 quid the signs back so that we can line you up on a Sunday and kill you. You know, if you want to live this way, that's okay. But I want to tell you it's not the Bible way. God's called us to be different. He's called us to be different. Does that mean, friends? You're going to have to work it through because we don't teach in, 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 the, in, in the arena. We say it from the platform. We don't teach abstinence, but we do call you to be temperate and controlled, and to live out the fruit of the spirit. And the Bible talks in Galatians about keeping in step with the Spirit. If you attempt to get out of it, He'll tell you what you do with it, it's up to you. And we need to grow in our maturity of what God's called us to do. Spiritual cleanliness is important. In the Old Testament, there was an argument between Abraham and Lot, his nephew. So much so that they had a parting of the ways. And Abraham gave him the best way to go. And it says in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 12 that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Let me just tell you tonight, young people, older people, wherever we are, be careful where you pitch your tent. Because a bit later on, he wasn't pitching his tent towards Sodom he was in it he was in it because that was where his heart was and it killed him almost apart from the grace of God that came to rescue we live in an impure world friends it's not easy it's not easy when all those jokes are flying around at work all the banter all the it's not easy and I've been there I've worked in all those environments for years it's not easy but it's possible to keep yourself clean You don't have to go weird on it, you don't have to be storming out, you don't have to be banging doors, you don't have to be going to HR, you don't have to be doing any of that sort of stuff. You just need to ask God to help you to live a life that's worthy of his calling and blessing his name. He's called us to be holy. You know, a few weeks ago, Christian lead staff meeting on a Tuesday and we pray for lots of people and situations that crop up week by week. And we just have an hour that really just sets us up. And he talked about strangers, and uh, Peter and Hebrews particularly talk about living as strangers. And I, I knew I knew I'd wrote it. I don't normally use orange paper to write my notes, but I knew that I got an orange card somewhere with a message on strangers somewhere. And I, I brought it in and says, "Yeah, they are Christ- to, to Christian just to sort of say it was something that touched my own heart." And he talked. To, it's, it's this. It's this. It's this teaching. He's not talking about being strange talking about being different on for, on Wednesday last week I was uh I, I had a busy day but I wanted to get up to our Bible college at Mattersea right up just there near, near Redford on um, Wednesday evening need to be there for six o'clock and at that time of night it's not an easy journey but got there and um, delighted to say that we've opened a beautiful new uh library research center at Mattersea it's gonna be fantastic for the students and next door The Donald G. Research Centre has been completely updated. In there, you've got archives such as letters written by Smith Wigglesworth, sermons, all the old World Pentecost magazines from Douglas Quine. So it's fantastic, and it's all sort of caged in secure units. You know, and you can't go in without somebody escorting you. Because sadly, they've had people go in and steal things. Isn't that sad? Go and done research and then taken things that don't belong to them. I don't get it. I really don't. So uh, it was just fascinating. And then afterwards, they have what they call the Donald G Lecture. It's a yearly lecture that particularly speaks perhaps with a slightly academic bent uh, to people doing masters. I thought, it's a long time since I've heard Roger. I'm going to listen to him. If you don't know who Roger Forster is, he's a wonderful man of God that about 40, 45 years ago started what became known as the Icthus Christian Fellowship in South London, a great church planting movement fascinatingly, he's 79 now, he doesn't look it, he's a bit greyer, uh, but he looks really well, he looks probably 10 years younger, he's still leading the church, and um, they, uh, they were the architects, because Graham Kendrick was his worship leader for many years, they were the architects of the Worldwide March for Jesus movement, just a great sense of God doing something in his life, talks about how he went to Cambridge, and got a first in mathematics, so you know, he's, he's got a head on him. And God saved him while he was at Cambridge, according to the ministry. And he's given the last 60 years of his life to serving the Lord Jesus. And it was just a great message. He had four clear, uh, William K., the leader of the lecture, had asked him to reminisce something on his life. He talked about th- various things that had taken place. I don't have time to talk about them tonight. But I said to Christian on Thursday, I said, Christian, the only way I can describe it, and Roger won't want me to say this. I don't know him at all personally. The only way I can describe it is, It felt like being in the presence of Jesus. It felt like being in the presence of Jesus. Because this man lives this principle. He's in the world, but he's not of it. So I trust I've caught your heart tonight. Religion can be a negative. It is not an occupant of Arena Mansfield. We'll have too much to be religious, we have too much food out there to be religious. We don't want to be religious. It's horrible, friends. Horrible. And if you're still trying to get your way to God, you'll never do it. There'll always be another step. There'll always be another hurdle. There'll be always something else you've got to do. There'll always be something else you've got to get right. It won't happen. He's done it for you. He's done it for you. He's paid the price. He's made the way. He says, receive of the gift and live out the life. But here in James, here in the only time in the New Testament, James makes a play on the word and captures the real heartbeat of what true religious Christianity is all about. And as we are going to the next four years of the journey of Arena Mansfield, let's do it with great conversation, lifting people up, praising the name of the Lord, giving thanks continually to him and speaking life. Let's do it with an amazing concern, a, a, a renewed concern, an accelerated expression of the purpose of God for this local church to reach out to the homeless, the loveless and the lost in this town. In Jesus' name, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us. And let's live clean. Because we're in this world, fast-paced, moving along, gadgetry, high-tech, computers, all that stuff. But we're not of it also. You don't have to go strange or weird not to be in the world, but not of it. In fact, wouldn't it be wonderful if people came up to you and went home and said at their kitchen table, you know what, it's like I've just met Jesus tonight. Wouldn't that be incredible? as we draw closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Friends, fellow brothers and sisters, Arena Church Mansfield, just an encouraging word for every one of us to ensure that we're right with God and to live out true religious Christianity. Amen.